Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. A quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. If you're interested, go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship, and you can get all the details. And if you got something cool working with v6, we definitely want to hear about it. So come join us on the v6 Buzz, and we can talk about it. Uh, I'm Ed Horley with my co-host, Tom Coffin and Scott Hogan. Today, we're going to be talking about... I guess link local versus global unicast addresses for for router interfaces. Why you would do it? Why you wouldn't? Uh, why it's you know always better to do global unicast? <laughs> so maybe we jump in and and talk talk about that, uh, and maybe we we sort of cover um, maybe a little bit of overview of like uh, of talking about this because this really isn't something for host OSs that we would do, right? We'd never just only give a host OS a link local interface. I guess we could if it's participating only on a on a local LAN segment, it doesn't have a router to go out to the wide world. But but it or is if it's uh, just lurking. It's, it's lurking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the good point, good point. Um but uh, as a general rule of thumb, you're gonna want some sort of global unicast address on on a host device. But Run running sort of routing and forwarding across maybe like a service provider network or a big enterprise network or even a you know smaller commercial network. Do we need to run global unicast addresses on a routed interface, or can we just make use of link local to establish routing adjacencies and exchange route information, but still point to the next link local address about how to get there? Is that possible to do? I guess that's the first thing we should we should answer. Is it possible to even do that? Yeah. I mean, I think when when you're first learning about IPv6, you realize, hey, hang on a second. It's not just one interface, one address that I've been used to with IPv4. Mm-hmm. You know, you have multiple addresses and of different types. You know, you can put a global address on a node's interface, and it also comes along with this extra link local address, which we've talked a lot about on this show. And they're used for different functions. And they're both active. And a link local address is a is a unicast address, but it only has it's only locally significant to that particular link. Right. So it's only used for communicating on link, but it is a unicast address that's used. And and when people start to learn about things like OSPF V3, they realize, hey, hang on a second. The routers talk to each other with those link local addresses. Or your servers, right? Ed, Windows servers can do discovery, find yeah. other nodes, link local addresses, and start to talk to each other with those link local addresses. Yeah, you could, and this is how for for folks that are sort of scratching their head, this this is very commonly like something like uh, MDNS, right, where we discover local resources, and even if we don't have a global unicast address, how it might be talking v6 to each other because. They've got a link local address and they're on the same link. They're on the same ethernet or wireless segment, right? And uh, they're able to communicate mm-hmm. back and forth. So yeah, it's absolutely possible to to, to do that. And then to obviously because the, the router adjacencies are just stood up with the link local addresses on both, you know, on both routers, they're able to exchange information because they're on the same link, right? So they're able to forward unicast packets back and forth to each other and multicast packets for that matter. Um, so they're able to actually communicate. Right and establish a neighbor adjacency, which has you know nothing to do with actually what's in the payload of what you're, you know, actually advertising for route forwarding purposes. Right, and they're sort of decoupled a little bit. 
So, so if you only listen to this point in the episode and you got all excited and busted out your uh, your virtual lab, you know, your EVNG instance or what have you, mm-hmm. and uh, you decided to uh, to try this out, uh, you might run into some problems, though, I would think, because uh, you're, you're going to end up with some link local addresses that, uh, that might match um, because they're virtual interfaces. And the uh, the EUI sixty four formulation for those uh, those addresses is is going to be uh, you might end up with uh, with overlapping addresses. Yeah, it's possible. It depends on the implementation, and especially if you're working in virtual labs, that's probably you're probably more susceptible to that than physical real world. Well, no, that's specifically what I'm talking about. Virtual uh, instance yeah. in, in yeah. EMG or GNS three or one of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and so so that then that's just sort of uh, you know not to rat hole on that particular issue, but but it does sort of bring up, you know, what do you what do you use when you're just going to go ahead and use the link local address, uh, the one that's automatically formulated because the router is going to to come up with the link local address and it's it's very likely going to use an EUI sixty four formulation. I think in ninety nine point nine 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 percent of cases, in all mm-hmm. cases practically. And so then do you just use what is configured or do you manually configure the the link local address uh, in order to create some sort of administrative structure to your addressing? That that would be sort of one of the first things I would think you would have to tackle if you were going to take this approach of using link local addresses. Yeah, sometimes in labs, you know, when you move a virtual machine, you'll say, I moved it or I copied it. And then if you said, I copied it, it'll like adjust the MAC addresses. Sometimes spinning up a new virtual router or virtual instance, it will randomize that MAC address. And therefore, if it is using EUI64, it won't conflict with other things. Um, If you're cloning systems, we've talked about that in a previous show, where if you're cloning systems, they all look the same. They all have the Etsy machine ID the same, and they all will start up and get the same address um and so yeah sometimes it takes care of itself if you're making or generating new ones sometimes yeah it'll overlap and so yeah i've i've done that had to go in and in the hypervisor manually adjust the mac addresses router one the last two hex digits will be zero one and router two the last two will be zero two you know whatever it is Whatever pattern, like that. Yeah. yeah. Whatever pattern you want, yeah, to, have. to avoid overlap, because th- that's the that's... very first thing that a computer does when it boots up. It does duplicate address detection on its link local address. If it's not right. doing optimistic DAD, and if it collides, then it'll try another one, another one. It tries three, and if you do, you know, IP add or show or IF config you know, old school, you'll see, it'll say dad failed in parentheses. And that gives you a clue that you have an overlap. That, you, that, your, that your father no longer wants you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, and we rat hold a little bit here in terms of, in terms of sort of that lab and use case. But I think for, for folks that are actually building, you know, real world networks, this, that, that portion may not be as much of a problematic statement. I, I think getting back to the core of it is, it is possible to build um, hop by hop link local associations and therefore pass routing or exchange routing information back and forth. And the routing information can contain V6 global unicast addresses. It could contain ULA, right? It, it has different capabilities of what it can route. And it obviously has a localized route instance that points to its neighbor adjacency and it points it out a specific interface. So it has that link local plus the scope ID, right? In order to know where to forward mm-hmm 
you know, the the sort of the exchange for, for router information for the router adjacency itself. So it's possible for us to do this. And then just as a reminder for the for the audience, you know, your next hop um, for even host operating systems, but also for routing stuff, is going to be the link local interface of of the next device, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that you're talking to is not going to be the global unicast address, although many operating systems will allow you to input that value and it will still go there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, by default, it's going to use the link local um, address. And that's actually what's advertised in the router advertisement. So if your routers are actually doing router advertisements, not that they necessarily should be doing that on, you know, point to point peering links, but, uh, but for downstream for hosts, they will, they will advertise and the next hop will be the link local uh, address of the router interface of whoever's, you know, doing the router advertisement on that particular link. Did I get all that right? You guys? Yeah. The router advertisement sends the router advertisement to FF02 colon colon one, the all nodes multicast group address on the link. But it sources that from its FE80 link local address on that interface. Yep. Yeah. So you're, that's how your host operating system, if you're doing like, if you're looking at your route table in your host operating system, you look at where your default or, you know, your, your colon colon slash zero <laughs> right route statement in, in your routing table, it's going to point to an FE80 address and you're not going to see whatever global unicast address uh, your network is, is utilizing, which can throw people off. Like mm-hmm. that's, that, that's a little strange. It also happens to be true for the routers that are exchanging routing information. Even if you're using global unicast addresses on your router interfaces, they will show the next hop being a link local address, mm-hmm. unless you're doing some very specific, you know, configuration changes in the platforms that's the default behavior even for even for the routers to, uh, when exchanging information and uh, pointing to the next hop you're going to point to a link local address mm-hmm. um i think i think that's a pretty accurate statement i guess the only um change would be if you're manually or statically putting forwarding entries right into mm-hmm. into the route table and you choose to forward to a global unicast address as opposed to a link local address so that would be something you would manually override mm-hmm. versus something that's dynamic on the on the platform itself. Mm-hmm. I think I got all this right, you guys. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that that sort of leads back to what I mentioned earlier related to what do you want to have show up there for the link local address? I mean, mm-hmm. it is possible to change the link local address uh, to to manually code it if you if you wanted to include some sort of information that might be useful from a troubleshooting standpoint. You know what yeah, that well, what that what, remote what that remote endpoint is that you're actually sending the traffic to, or what the you know the the proximal endpoint is. Um, you know. Yeah. What sort of information would you put in there, Tom? I mean, that's uh, I guess that's the next obvious question is is what you know. Let's say we're doing a, a campus network. Well, maybe you just want it to be you know more deterministic as opposed to you know. And again, this is this is kind of you don't really have this issue in IPv4 is there's, there's no, this, this just isn't one. Come, yeah, there's just the one address. And, you know, if you're, if you're lucky enough, you have enough space, you can sort of lay things out uh, according to uh, some structure that, you know, that gives you some sort of administrative, you know, overview of, of how that addressing is assigned and, you know, where endpoints live and that sort of thing. It's not easy to do. It's possible. Um, you know, here in V6, you've, you've got, this this abundance of addressing and and the fact that you've got a an interface identifier that you know that can be you know modified if you have a, a loopback address you can or I'm sorry uh, a link local address that you manually configure you can sort of do whatever you want with the interface identifier 
Right. And so then, you know, what, what information might be useful? And this is the kind of thing where, you know, people with like untreated OCD should probably not be working with IPv6. Just to clarify for everyone, uh, for the interface identifier, it's the last 64, last 64, yeah, exactly. 64 bits that we're talking about. So the far right portion of the address, last 64 of what the host operating system, and, and when we talk about that EUI 64, it's a 48 bits to, you know, 64 bit mat, you know, yeah. sort of extension that we build yeah, and automatically. It's like, and, 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 you know, you see the link local address uh, interface identifier, like being just like con compacted down to a, just double colon one, you know, in the case of having a, uh, you know, like a virtual gateway or something, uh, mm -hmm. this is, you know, definitely not point to point links for between routers. Uh, you know, you, you, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't want to use the same formulation, but, but, but that's an example of like the, the, the most, most straightforward, um, concatenated example of an interface identifier for uh, a link local address, that double colon one. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you've got, since you've got 64 bits to play with, you can, you can absolutely go bananas and, and put any, anything you want in there from a code standpoint to just sort of, you know, maybe identify that device. If, mm -hmm. I don't know. Is that, you know, in, in most instances, depending on the size of your network, I think the, the, the juice maybe wouldn't be worth the squeeze and that, you know, the, the, com the additional complexity related to provisioning would take away whatever potential benefit you get from a troubleshooting standpoint of being like, oh, look, the next hop is that. Let me, can you know, that link local address interface identifier looks familiar. Oh, sure enough, that's the, you know, that's the one that we coded the information for, for say, you know, router north or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think so, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of possibilities there, but, but again, it's, it, it is the, 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 the tension between the provisioning complexity and the troubleshooting mm -hmm. benefit that you might get from it. And that's always sort of, you know, in, in, a, in a universe where we're trying to get to automation and the, all, automate all the things and, and, you know, EUI 64 formulation is certainly a, a primitive example of, of automating at least one element, you know, then maybe you don't want to touch any of this stuff and just let, let the network be the network and let the, you know, let EUI 64 handle the, the interface identifier for, for the link local address and then just keep track of everything, uh, at, you know, as best you can f to do the troubleshooting down the road, whatever that might be. Yeah. In small little labs, you know, I've done that before where I'll override the link local address on a router interface and I'll statically configure it to FE80 colon colon one. And maybe that's router one and all of router one's interfaces. I put that, you know, link local FE80 colon colon one on all of router one's interfaces. Then on router two, you know, FE80 colon colon two is used as the statically configured link local address and all of its interfaces and it you know on router three it's fe80 colon colon three and then when i do a show ipv6 route i see you know this prefix is learned from this interface you know 110 administrative distance the metric via this interface fe80 colon colon two and i know that that route has been the next top is going to be router two is going to be yep. the next top. And so I'm, if I just let it do its default and use some MAC address and EY64, I'd have no context. I'd be like, oh, I don't know the MAC address or router number two interface. But if I do that and override it, now I have some context that helps me troubleshoot. Uh, sometimes when I'm configuring like HSRP or VRRP and I have a shared link local address between the two HA devices, I may make it, you know, 
colon colon 100 if it's vlan 100 or colon colon 200 if it's vlan 200 i know tom i'm taking a decimal number and putting it into a hexadecimal value but it's only on an access network you know and this is where we go down the 64-bit iid address space wormhole <laughs> yeah that's right well i think i, I think the, the what what you're hearing examples of uh for the audience is it may be appropriate to stick a, a router identifier in some portion of the link local address especially when routers are talking to other routers that's useful when traversing your network um both for link local addresses but also for global unicast doesn't matter which um it's just useful in terms of identification of understanding what's going on and you can use that in a combination of loopback addresses or point to point interfaces you can you can express the you know, the 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 router ID is, is a portion of the link local address. And there's different techniques to sort of do that. And you have to come into agreement about whether we're using decimal and hex, just like Scott mentioned, mm -hmm. in terms of making all that a reality. But <laughs> is it 100 but, or is it 256? <laughs> <laughs> so there's all sorts of <laughs> there's all sorts of agreements that you have to come up with uh, standard wise uh, to get that sorted out. And your WAN team may decide to do it one way and your LAN team may decide to do it a different way. And there's a couple of reasons why you may want to do that. Right, your LAN team may decide that embedding VLAN information is super useful, or even embedding VXLAN information is super useful um, for for what they're up to, and it just really depends on their use cases. Uh, and there may be other use cases of just making help desk life or the automation team's life easier for your data center. Right, that maybe your data center or the default gateway is always FE eight zero colon colon one. And every VLAN has that uh, across your network. So it doesn't matter from a scripting and automation basis. It makes it super easy to set up your servers because the default gateway is always FE80 colon colon one. And you can just stamp that out over and over and over again. It doesn't matter. You know, whatever network you pop up in, it's always going to be FE80 colon colon one. What you get is a global unicast address could be determined by the route advertisement or whatever your script is that you're pulling from your IPAM tool to go ahead and set up that particular address, right? So I think those are those are things that that uh, you can take into consideration, and and that's holding true, I think, to a certain degree across both link local and global unicast. Would you guys agree with that? That you would sort of sort of match those up. You, I don't think you want to be doing different things across those two, for, for at least for the same interface within the same portion of the network, right? Yeah, I think that's that's correct. Uh, some consistency is is probably in order. And and that's that's again where the operational models aren't aren't entirely uh, one for one because you just certain things you can't do in v4 that you can do in v6, mm -hmm. and and all of this this potentially useful information that we're talking about you know being able to encode in the interface identifier, or you know creating some sort of logical structure, uh, you know you, you really you really do have to sort of try to game out where you're going with your network and and in environments where you know things are much more automated in terms of not just you know what's happening at the sort of handling of application traffic across you know whatever the fabric is but in terms of the provisioning of the fabric itself i mean that you know these types of decisions may be taken entirely out of your hands at the yeah. outset anyway um but where ui64 is concerned i guess the the one of the final wrinkles would be you, you might go to to try to configure a, a manual interface identifier for link local and find that you cannot do it i, I suppose there's some yeah. equipment laying around out there that just doesn't have that op option and so you're kind of stuck with the ui64 i yeah, and I agree with that. There, there are there is equipment that you can't you can't modify the link local address, um, and so you you basically just have to write an exception. This is our standard. Our standard is to include a router interface identifier. This device doesn't support it. We're going to do EUI sixty four with it. When it finally supports it, we'll roll through our network and change it. Is, is sort of how I 
I see that addressing that particular problem. Yeah, it's just network engineers' um, tendency to over-engineer. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. IPv6 <laughs> addressing and be like, hey, there's this cool thing I can manually override and embed some, you know, you know, super secret encoding, scripting code. Effort. Coffee, <laughs> I can spell <laughs> most of Tom's last name. <laughs> That's right. I could, uh, you know, or just leave it colon colon one and colon colon two. And then also you could have overlaps if you, you could, the danger is you run into overlaps. If you are configuring lots of FE80 colon colon one manually. Yeah. Now you're then taking on the responsibility of preventing overlaps yes. yourself you have, to, you have to detect that and then the yeah. other the other one is if you're automating mm-hmm. but you don't put enough granular information in to provide uniqueness around mm-hmm. certain configurations you could end up with duplicate addresses mm-hmm. right yeah in, in theory for the even for the link local side and that could be uh, a painful thing to try and debug and and then and then you're having to go yeah. out and reprovision addresses because of the fact that you have an error in your script or your code uh, yeah it could right. be really it could be a bad day you could have a self-inflicted because <laughs> it essentially this is low level in in ipv6 this yep. would affect neighbor discovery you would basically lose next hop reachability between yes. all routers <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could you could yeah. uh you could have a bad day yeah, it could be it could be pretty ugly. So you definitely want to think through it a little bit more carefully and vet how you're thinking about how your scripts will will generate link local addresses and global unicast addresses. Both, mm-hmm. um, obviously, there's going to be some. You probably want to have some congruency uh, in terms of your global unicast to link local schemas, uh, so that things are matching up. And this is even true with the with your loopback addressing. Um, also, we didn't talk about it a lot. I mean, we were mainly talking about sort of like point to point and next hop for for routing, but um, I guess we never really addressed the original question, which was, mm-hmm. you know, for routing across sort of, you know, a WAN environment or your backbone, and you're doing it all with link local addresses. It, we said it is possible to do that. You'll get mm-hmm. all your routing information you can forward. What's the pro and what's the con, <laughs> I guess, is what's the pro around doing link local, link local addresses? Um, the pro is there's a, s- a security benefit. Nobody from another link no attacker a black hat from another link could send packets to a link local address of those routers on a different link so it provides isolation and micro segmentation like the ultimate micro segmentation you know two routers back to back one router is fe80 colon colon one the other is fe80 colon colon two and they have a bgp peer between them doing, you know, update so, uh, update source, <laughs> uh, but, uh, and fixing up, you know, the, the peer and the link local, uh, but then another attacker from another link couldn't send an IPv6 packet to either of those link local addresses because that attacker is on a different link. So it provides some security isolation benefit, kind of like using CLNS, you know, or ISIS. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely the pro. And, um, the other pro is it, it works mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in terms of like, it'll change information. Uh, things will come up. 
Um, it'll it'll definitely work. And with EUI 64 and pretty much a guarantee of uniqueness with EUI 64, this also means that in dynamic networks that you may just be plugging devices in and they automatically have something like um, maybe for IoT networks like Ripple, right? They're going to plug in, they're going to form adjacencies, and they're going to start participating in routing immediately mm-hmm. and uh, give them the capability to do route forwarding in like mesh networks, which is something that is a little bit more difficult to sort of just ha- plug in and have instantiate uh, MV4. I don't know of any anything that really just sort of does that on the fly without something like DHCP to be able to provide addresses to exchange information to get things working. I'm not aware of any APIPA routing, dynamic routing capabilities that I know of that that sort of does that, and I don't know if that's something that's come out in in, in Thread or in hmm. anything else. But I think that's yeah, all these still things, use right? ULA, you know, right? Yes, but but it still does the same function. So so it's it's possible to do all of that, and it's and it totally works out of the box, which is sort of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's definitely a plus. Uh, what's let's talk about some of the cons because there are some cons uh, associated with it. Well, it's additional uh, complexity for one. I mean. You, Arguably. In terms of just in terms of just knowing, you just have to know this is how it works, yeah, right? You, so you have yeah, to yeah. make a decision that this is going to be the operate operational model you're using. Because if you're just basically like, well, I want to do it the same way I did it before, and you know the equivalent of even even if it's private addressing, you're still sort of equivalent wise looking at global unicast global or unicast. even e- yeah, even if it's ULA, it's still not yeah. link local. Whatever whatever you're using, that's not link local. So right. it's 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 yeah, routable, yeah. not single single link yeah exactly uh, address. so so that, you know there there is that and, and and if you if you're trying to keep things as simple as possible as you go from v4 to v6 it would add another facet of complexity i think yeah and you'll have to remember oh that the loopback you, you maybe only put the global address on the loopback address of the router because you still need an, a global address to source administrative protocols, you know, to be right. able to SSH to the router or to ping the router or uh, do d- DNS queries from the router or, you know, it, or logging from the router. It needs a global address to send a packet off link. So you need to rely heavily on the loopback's global address for things because that may be the only interface on the router that has a global address <laughs> right yeah and so that that becomes uh uh can be a little bit more problematic in maybe like bgp configurations mm-hmm. uh, if you're actually doing external bgp right then you have to do the multi-hop in order to exchange information i guess um let's see i i oh the other thing icmp if you want to actually trace something across the network right is it going to go <laughs> yeah trace route uh you want to have some sort of visibility if it's your own internal admin network i think you would want to be able to see that i get why service providers may not want folks to see all the links that that occur you know across their network and how how to traverse it but for your own network i think that would be something you would might want to know and you might want to get some information back uh you know from a hop by hop basis across your network um so that could be uh, problematic potentially mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. yeah. When you're doing BGP, you have to uh, set next top. You know, set IPv6 next top. Next top, yeah. Um, and do that. So you're doing lots of extra steps. Yeah, extra steps support. with route maps to convert. You know, because your neighbor statement is going to have a link local address in it. Yep. And then you're going to have to change and set next top. Uh, yep. 
So just just be aware that's something that would would look different administratively and operationally than what you're doing with V4, right? So so that is that is a divergence in, in that way, which gets back to sort of Tom's comment about you know keeping it simple and trying to match things up. Yeah, there's an RFC seventy four oh four that we should mention using only link local addresses inside an IPv6 network that has you know these advantages. It talks about this, the approach caveats, uh, how this might be used at a internet exchange point. Uh, that's a useful little RFC to refer to. Yes, I, I agree. And, and it really comes down to what your security posture needs to be, um, what your operational models are, and to a certain degree, what routing protocols you even select, right? Uh, uh, and, and how you do that. So you may take one strategy with one set of routing protocols might have a slightly different one for like your internet peering, right? Mm. And you may you may choose to to change it up for your just strict internet peering side of, of your BGP, but internally maybe you're running OSPF and you're perfectly good with running everything with link local addressing and being more secure. Yeah. And I think you've written about this using link local addresses for an IoT environment and then having an edge compute device that then talks to those link local IOT devices only with the link local, maybe wire, maybe wireless is implied there at that access network. Yeah. And then that edge compute node has a global address on it that relays information to maybe a cloud environment that's, you know, analyzing all of that data or sending commands down. And that gateway that borders the IOT network using link local only and the internet, of course, using global addresses, that little Edge compute node is kind of fake, fake little proxy is that gateway. Yeah. That... Yeah. It's a little ALG sort of uh, mm -hmm. in terms of, in terms of its capabilities, but it can just talk link local on one side. It can talk global unicast on the other. All the devices that are sitting behind it are only talking link local. So they don't have any capability to talk to the outside world. Only that proxy device can do it for you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's depending on your use cases, uh, there can be some really interesting combination of things. We really, you know, I recommended the audience, hey, go check out some of the RFCs and some of the links in the show notes, and it'll give you some ideas about, you know, how how you can sort of manipulate and play around with with uh, link local versus global unicast, and when one might be more appropriate than the other. And I think that's I think it's a useful thing to sort of think through um, from a process, and and really for teams that are trying to figure out operationally what matches with what they're doing. To Tom's point. You may choose the simple method of just trying to match it one for one, and uh, and do it that way. But this is a new opportunity to reevaluate how you want to design your network, and this may be something that you decide is is really important, and you want to you know follow the you know you know using only link local addressing for the inside portion of your network because you see security value in it, or mm -hmm. you see other uh, other things that you know maybe your network was exploited on a hop by hop basis before and it's still an issue and you'd like to not have that issue in IPv6. <laughs> not that I'm saying that that was the reason that any of this stuff was come up with, but <laughs> <laughs> well, did we did we cover most of it, you guys? I think, yeah. I think we covered a good a good part of it. Uh, you know, we'd love to hear from from everyone in the audience if you have very specific uh, opinions about it. We don't have heavy biased opinions about this, except for the fact that I'm always right about everything, and, <laughs> and we can sort of we can sort of debate it from there. But I'd love to hear. Uh, from those that are that are working on on building uh, building their networks out, with which way did you go and why? 
I think yeah. that would be super yeah. useful to hear. Mm. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you've done like weird things with the interface identifier, please let us know. We, we want to oh, hear yeah. about it. Yeah, interface identifier tricks and scripts. Uh, send them our way. <laughs> <laughs> We definitely want to hear about that. Well, unlike V6, we run out of space for the podcast. You can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter at IPv6 Buzz. You can also hit up each one of us on Twitter. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogue. And I'm at E. Horley. Uh, thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast uh, apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, if you like the this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.